Welcome, everyone. We are taking calls today. Uh, the calls are, of course, as usual, at 984-237-3739, 984-2-DR-DREW. Uh, and uh, listen, we have a very interesting show planned. We're going to talk to Dr. Vladimir Zlenko. He, of course, uh, has become prominent for his advocacy for zinc and hydrochloroquine. His recommendations ended up putting me on quercetin and Susan on quercetin uh, and zinc. And then, of course, we're going to have our friend Dr. Ram Yohendra in here, the gym guy. As uh, we'll, I'll explain that in a minute. Before I bring them in, I want to get to a quick call because I think it'll frame the early part of our conversation. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin. Ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? Sam. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Jennifer? Yes, I'm here. Go to it. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. I'm first. Um, yeah, I just... I'm kind of like really like kind of livid and upset about the whole situation, but I wanted to talk to you and get your opinion on president Trump. We all know he's the president. We all know he's in charge. So that's why he got preferential treatment, but I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I'm probably wrong. It's intentional that they're keeping these medicines away from the average American. And if not, it's intentional that they're making it hard to get. Why so, can't people so get the Jennifer, treatment that these people you, you get? Need, Why are they killing everybody? So get on Twitter right now and look at the uh, testimonial that President Trump put up literally a minute ago where he made a commitment to get all the to increase the production of Regeneron, which is the drug that he got that probably made him well. well I'm going to talk to Dr. Yohan and Dr. Zlanko about whether or not that's accurate or not, but I, I think that's a reasonable thing. And he's going to distribute it through the military and make it available to for free to everyone with mild to moderate COVID. And the dexamethasone was the other thing he got, and that's pennies. So now everyone will be able to get exactly what he got, essentially. Okay, yeah, because they've said stuff like that before, and like it's still been hard to near not like impossible for people to get certain drugs and treatments. So it, it, the, I'm just kind of like, the difficulty you know, really. Just, I want everyone. To. Yeah, the the difficulty is the medical system. We'll we'll listen to what we're going to talk about. I'm talking to Dr. Yo and Dr. Zelenko about this. It's reaching a consensus. It's it's getting through the legal hassles. It's getting the phase three trials completed. It's getting approval by the FDA. It takes forever. But and then who can get on the protocols before that and not? So your point is very well taken. Um, and so I was actually happy to see President Trump stepping up and saying he was going to. Because I, I think people should get something very similar to what he got. And so your question is quite quite yeah. re relevant to what's going on today. And thank you for asking that. Let's bring in my guests, Dr. Ram Yohendra and Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. There they are. Let's just start with that question. Uh, Dr. Zelenko, did you, uh, did you sort of feel as though President Trump got appropriate treatment? And what do you think about his new uh, call to action? So the first thing that the president did he got treated immediately, which is a deviation from the recommendations that the rest of the country are being told. For example, um, most patients are told to go home, bring fluids, take Tylenol. If you get a respiratory distress, go to the hospital. Uh, that's not what the president did. He got immediate treatment. 
which is something that I support. It's been part of my protocol as well. So I think that part is great. Um, I believe he was taking zinc, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, melatonin. Yep. Um, Pepsid, thiamine. And then he, yeah. And then when he went to the hospital, um, we were told that he was, he got, I think, one dose of remdesivir and he got the um, Regeneron, uh, poly, I think it's a pl- polyclonal antibody. Yeah. And, um, and he got dramatically better. Um, so I don't know much about, I don't think anyone knows much about Regeneron. It's not available for use yet. Um, I don't know its safety profile and or um, efficacy. So I'd love to see that data. The, the, little- the data I've seen is that it reduced hospitalization by 80%, if I remember. The, Dr. Yoda, is that what you read in the, in the data that they did put out? Yes, it, it reduced hospitalization and it, it decreased the viral load. Um, and also, the, I believe the ER visits, uh, the ER time, um, it, it cut down on that. What do you think about President Trump's care and his new call to action? Dr. Yo? Um, yeah. Well, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, initially when, and I agree with Dr. Zelenko, I think they were very aggressive with uh, his treatment. Um, initially, I thought that um, they would, you know, they would start them on kind of this conservative management or the standard management, zinc, fluids, Tylenol. And then later on, I think it was Friday afternoon, Regeneron's all over the news. And I was a little bit surprised. They went with an experimental medication. I was sort of thinking they would give remdesivir and plasma, which is what a, a lot of Americans have been getting because of the emergency use. And, and, and let me hold you, but only in more moderate, Dr. Yo, only in more moderate cases, though, right? He, he's really, he was sort of mild to mild, at least as far as we can tell. You, you, would, you, let's, would you have actually given plasma and Regeneron at that point? Or again, give him, or I, here's a piece we don't know. We don't know what his CAT scan, his chest X-ray looked like. I'm guessing it did not look that good, which is why they went with all this. Do you agree with that? I, I think so. I think that's probably why they went with the Regeneron. Yeah. Um, there's a small window giving remdesivir and plasma. Yeah. I think there is, if you give it early, um, it has a benefit. But it's when you give it to these ICU patients, then there's not, you know, it's really more of the immunological um, disease that's taken over. So remdesivir acts as an antiviral. Same thing with the plasma, you're giving those antibodies. Um, so I, I do agree that I think he was probably trending towards a, a moderate COVID um, probably with some chest, uh, some infiltrates on his X-rays, yeah. clinical symptoms too. Right. Well, the while the press really was speculation right now. But. Yeah, that's all we got. But while the press was spinning on, did you put him on auction? Did you put him on auction? I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Everybody gets on auction when, at this stage. What, what what did his chest X-ray look like? Now, I think they even did a CAT scan. Did they not? I, I think so. Yes, they did a, a CAT scan and, a, and obviously a chest X-ray. Um, and then there was the reports from uh, Dr. Conley, his his doctor, the White House doctor, that suggested that he had some drops in his um, O2 sats, which, you know, kind of reading between the lines suggests that there obviously was some pulmonary infiltrates yeah. in those x-rays in the, in the CAT sure. scans. Sure. Dr. Zelenko, would, would uh, hydroxychloroquine, based on your research, and I want to hear your new studies, uh, would that have been an appropriate management intervention for a case like this? Uh, I need to say, and I have to say this in in a indirect way, 
but not everything that was reported in the media is factual or 100% correct. And um, well, let's let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. Okay. Because he was on the radio show yesterday, um, and he announced that he um, he was with the president consecutively for four days in the debate prep and on the airline, and he had very high exposure to Hope Hicks as well. So, um, and he's been testing negative. So he made a big announcement that he's taking hydroxychloroquine prophylaxis with zinc. And the regimen that he's taking is 200 milligrams once a day for five days, and then once a week. And then uh, zinc, um, around 25 uh, milligrams of elemental zinc, which is exactly my printed prophylaxis protocol. Um, and he's been testing negative, and he's not the only one that is uh, benefiting from it. Now, I want to tell you where, a month away from an election, hydroxychloroquine is radioactive politically, and the president needs, um, well, it's a, it's a very nice thing to give out potentially effective drugs for free right before an election. I mean, uh, giving out hydroxychloroquine wouldn't work. So um, I really hope that Regeneron works. It would be great to have more than one uh, weapon. I don't know how sustainable it is to give it away for free um, long-term, especially if you need to scale this globally. Um, I'm sure the cost is prohibitive. So um, I, I'm still a very big advocate for the use of hydroxychloroquine or quercetin or EGCG. There, there are several zinc ionophores that have shown very good results. And you have some new publications, some new data out? Well, no, my, my, I forget when we spoke last. So when you say new, uh, I'm not sure. But I, I do have a study that was published in preprint form with two German researchers. And that study showed um, a reduction in hospitalization of 84% uh, with a p-value of almost uh, zero. And it is at the last stages of peer review. Hopefully by the next two weeks, I hope, it'll be published in an international journal. It, it, did you say it's a pro, uh, is this prophylaxis or is this a mild disease? No, th this was 141 Patients all diagnosed, uh, lab-proven COVID-19, and they were all high-risk patients uh, because I risk stratify patients. Um, and when I say high-risk, the expected mortality rate in that group uh, was around 5%. And, and, and Dr. Yo, I wonder if you have any questions for Dr. Zelenko. This is all stuff you and I have been kind of watching from afar. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, Dr. Zelenko has been sort of the the forefront, I think him and Dr. DDA up in, uh, out in France about the hydroxychloroquine. Um, it, it, and I agree with uh, you, Dr. Zelenko. I mean, hydroxychloroquine, it's it's toxic. You say that and it's, you know, you depending on, you know, I, I find that physicians, I can tell their political beliefs based on their how they look at hydroxychloroquine, which is not the way medicine is supposed to be practiced. And, and we can debate the science behind it, but 
some of these things have gotten too politicized. But it's it's interesting. I, I feel like hydroxychloroquine is going to play a role um, in the long haulers. I, I feel like it's a it's a you know we can talk about this uh, in, a, in a little bit, Doctor Drew. But you know every time I'm I'm looking at the data we're getting from the long haulers, and I keep on going back to what Doctor Zelenko has been talking about with the hydroxychloroquine. Um, just that in terms of the cytokines, what some, what a lot of people don't realize is actually hydroxychloroquine is an immunomodulator. Um, mm. It changes the conformation of cytokines. So, you know, and, and that's kind of part of its mechanism of action in, in lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. It has this immunomodulating effects. And as Dr. Zelenko has been talking about, it's cheap, it's readily available, uh, it's generic. So I'm starting to think that hydroxychloroquine might be a potential drug for these long haulers. So I'm, I'm always a big fan of Dr. Zelenko and what he's doing. So, so let me, let me reframe that. So we've all, we've been up to this point thinking about hydroxychloroquine as its ionophore effects and bringing the zinc in and its antiviral properties. You're saying, lo and behold, much like we discovered hydroxychloroquine works for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, it works in the inflammatory phase of this illness as well, particularly the post-acute inflammatory phase. Actually, um, absolutely. Um, I think there's. Go ahead, Dr. Zlanko. Um, hydroxychloroquine has four unique mechanisms of action. Um, not every mechanism is relevant at every stage. So, for example, the fact, well, if any of my patients have a cytokine storm, that means I didn't do my job. Um, <laughs> I try to prevent patients from having a cytokine storm. Reasonably so. Reasonably so. So I prefer the zinc ionophore effect in the very early stages where we can uh, eliminate the viral load and avoid all those complications. So there's four mechanisms, and I'll define them. Um, the way hydroxychloroquine is used uh, against malaria mm -hmm. is that it changes the pH in the lysozymes, mm -hmm. and that seems to reduce the amount of virus as well that gets into the cytoplasm. Um, then there's an interesting mechanism where it turns out that hydroxychloroquine stabilizes the red blood cells. Uh, which improves its uh, oxygenation capacity, which is a big issue in COVID. And then you have the zinc ionophore effect, and then you have the cytokine effect. So in general, I prefer to use hydroxychloroquine because of the multiple mechanisms. But if it, I live in the real world, if I can't get it to someone, I will revert to plan B because I still need to get the zinc into the cell. And Dr. Yo, you were about to say something, and we interrupted you. Oh no, I you know I I agree with uh, everything. Doug, you know, Dr. Zelenko makes some really great points. And another interesting thing Dr. Zelenko just said was about he needs drugs that are readily available. And cheap. And we're talking about you know sort of my focus has sort of been and cheap too, absolutely. And my focus has been sort of on the long haulers. I know Dr. Z Dr. Zelenko is doing a lot of research and publications sort of on the front end. Uh, and I want to say I, I appreciate all the work he's done. Um, but my, my sort of focus has sort of shifted towards these long haulers. And I just, there's hundreds of patients I've spoken to and, and worked with. And again, we're, we're trying to figure out what to do. So sure, Dr. Patterson and I, we're, we're going to be testing, but the big conundrum and the big, you know, sort of thing we're trying to figure out is what do we do? It's great. We can test it. It's great. We can find your cytokine and immune profile, but what do we do? And I think what Dr. Zelenko, just to echo what he said, hydroxychloroquine it's a cheap 
It's it's generic. Yeah. It's it's readily available, and this could potentially be a, a drug we can treat. It's, it's also with. very long acting. Do we know how we use it? Is it a daily drug? Is it a once a week drug? Doctor Slanko, you have an opinion about that? Right. So prophylaxis, I do give a loading dose, um, which is once a day for five days, and then once a week. And I just use that uh, the malaria dose schedule. They do once a week or 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 twice a week, uh, every two weeks. However, I've been experimenting with a new delivery system, and we work with a team that developed hydroxychloroquine in nebulized form. And I've actually started deploying it um, for prophylaxis and for treatment. Uh, it's a little too early to tell the prophylaxis data, but I can tell you that um, the hydroxychloroquine in nebulized form, um, we're doing EKGs before and after, and a spirometry before and after. Uh, the EKGs are the same, nothing changes, uh, but the spirometry uh, goes up by around 25% within 10 minutes hmm. of administration of the hydroxychloroquine nebulizer. So you still need the zinc, you still need the antibiotics, um, and I'll actually still give the oral hydroxychloroquine because I don't have yet enough experience to and confidence yet in the nebulizer form. It's only been around for two weeks. So I'm discovering, uh, you know, as we go along. Let's uh, take a quick call here. It's for all of us. Uh, go ahead there, Dave. Yes, uh, I have kind of a twofold question. Uh, I was wondering if, and this is an impossible question to answer perhaps, but if anyone cares to speculate that if early on, maybe the suggestion, if not a recommendation to say, to the general public, take uh, a combination of maybe quercetin or hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin D and C. Where would the caseloads be now? Or more importantly, where would the deaths be now? And then to follow that up, I've read where uh, Dr. Fauci is actually taking uh, high loads of vitamin D, something like maybe 5,000 international units per day. Um, why isn't that out as a recommendation to the general public at I, large? I think, Dave, uh, I, like I, think it, I think it is. I think, I think there is a general recommendation to supplement D, and that's true COVID or non-COVID, frankly. I've, I've been fighting for that for a long time. Uh, and some vitamin C. Uh, I think both are, you know, why not take right now? And 5,000 units is pretty standard for anybody that has lower-ish vitamin D levels, and then a 1,000 of C. Like, those are pretty standard recommendations right now. You guys agree? Absolutely, yeah. It's part of my routine care for patients. I don't wait for them to have COVID. I, I believe in the importance of vitamin D, and I screen for it with every well exam. Yeah, so Dave, I think I think we're we're not only advocates. I think we think we our sense is that's just a general recommendation. Now, what's interesting to me is the public health messaging by counties, state, and federal government has been so messed up that you're not getting that message, which is what what I hear when you well, say we're not well, getting that message. Huh? We're not getting that message across the from the from the media either. I mean, yeah. I would think that would be something important. For the media to have well uh, you you would hope that people who are responsible for public health messaging would use the media to deliver it instead they've been worrying about whether or not hydroxychloroquine you know they've just been they've been arguing about things that make no sense and then they are interested in the panic porn of talking about deaths and uh, it, it, i don't understand any none, none of none of it is public health messaging 
It's a complete abortion when it comes to public health messaging. What though I've you know done this my whole career, and you need a narrative, you need relatable cases. I mean, in a way, Trump is becoming a, a health message right now in a weird way. Uh, you need humor. You need you know you just need to you need to help people sort of connect to the stories about how to get through this, what to do, what's the proper way to prepare, not the panic porn of, oh my God, here's a horrible, tragic story. Yes, they're out there. They're, they're, we know they're, it's tra tragedy. But the messaging they should be giving is about how to get people through this. And as you see, the simple stuff like vitamin C and vitamin D, you're not even hearing it. Incredible, right? Right. Yeah. And, and Dr. Drew, um, oh, and, and Dave, just to you know, kind of echo what Dr. Drew was saying, there's a lot of studies now that are suggesting that vitamin D uh, plays a role in what is called balancing the immune system. Uh, I think that there's always this misnomer calling it boosting. You don't want to boost the immune system. It's balancing. And so anytime there's a, def uh, a deficiency in vitamin D on your T cells, there's specialized cells in your immune system. There are vitamin D receptors. And there's tons of literature now, especially with COVID. Um, that, that has really suggested that it, it vitamin D plays a role. The other interesting thing about vitamin C, since we were talking about it, is um, vitamin C, uh, so in the early part of the infection, we see a depletion of uh, neutrophils. And neutrophils are another type of immune cells that are help with the defense and fighting the virus. And we're seeing a depletion of it. And what we know from the studies is that vitamin C replenishes neutrophils. Um, it's in the data. Now, whether that helps or not, you know, there's a lot of uh, speculation and anecdotal evidence, but quite a lot of physicians believe in, uh, especially overseas, in high-dose vitamin C. I know in China, um, there's a publication suggesting very high-dose uh, vitamin C, some in a liposomal ascorbic acid. Ascorbic acid is another name for vitamin C that increases the, absorb uh, the absorption of vitamin C in the body. So as, as Dr. Drew has been saying, and I know Dr. Zlenka is talking about zinc and many other vitamins, these have not been talked a lot about in the media. And, and, and we, we kind of have this little community in, in social media where the doctors like Dr. Drew, Dr. Zelenko, and quite um, many other physicians, are, we're talking about this amongst ourselves and we're trying to get this message out there. And, and it's actually standardized. There's something called the Math Plus Protocol. You go look it up. It's, look it up. It's from Eastern Virginia University Medical School. The Math Plus Protocol, Dave. And take a good look at that, okay? I will. And, uh, and by the way, uh, thanks to the three of you gentlemen, I've been on basically the protocol that, that you've recommended for the past, you know, 90 days or 60 days or so. And uh, so I appreciate that because really it's not out in the general media. And I think that you're, you guys are doing a great thing for the general public. Oh, thanks, Dave. And, and I will talk more about how, you know, how to prevent transmission and still take care. Be careful, be cautious, take care of yourself. It's still, you know, there's still... There's still a lot of risk out there. Uh, let's quickly talk to uh, Mason, if you guys don't mind. Mason, let's hear your story. Uh, yes, is this Dr. Drew? Yes, sir. Um, I'm a 65-year-old Navy veteran, and I got COVID in early July. Um, I went to the VA. It was uh, a lot of joint pain and also uh, migraines. When I went in there, they did the testing. Uh, they said they'd tell me in about a day or so, but I said to them, I'd like to have something to start right now. And I took amoxicillin. That day later on, after two of the pills of amoxicillin, the joint pain started to go away, the migraine started to go away. Within three days, I had no more symptoms. 
but I still had the COVID, which I had testing it lasted another month. I went back and asked them if I could have the hydroxychloroquine with the zinc, and they denied me that. I was wondering, my question is, and thank you, doctors, for all you're doing with this education, is um, why they're denying that. And it seems to be coming political more than medical instead of helping out the patient. All right, hold on, Mason. We'll talk about you. I'll put you back on hold. And go ahead. Who would like to tackle that? Let's get Dr. Zlenko since he's been at the, the eye of the storm of all this. So, first of all, it's early intervention in high-risk patients that has been reproduced on several different continents, uh, both Dudier Raul in Brazil, many other um, studies that show that if you initiate early treatment in high-risk patients, you reduce hospitalization fivefold. So it seems, and that's what happened with the president, so it, it's, it seems that it's the, it's the intervention within the first two or three days that is key to having a good outcome. Um, regarding why hydroxychloroquine has been uh, demonized, that's uh, multifactorial, but let's put it this way. Um, the president supports it, supported it, um, and if it turns out, which it is a, a useful and important element in managing COVID-19, then that's a political win for the president. And obviously those that don't want him to be president will try to minimize its effectiveness. That's number one. Number two, big pharma, if we reduce hospitalization by 80%, we reduce the market share for remdesivir or convalescent plasma or by 84%. So there's that component. And then I, I also have seen that I don't know if the anarchists um, or the Marxists uh, planned this, but they've jumped along and have hijacked this pandemic as a way to destabilize our society. Um, so what you see, uh, the, the 20 cities or so that are burning, um, the economy that's um, you know, shut down, all, all these measures are designed to weaken and um, undermine our way of life. And so there's a lot of, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend. There's very interesting partners here. China, for example, will do anything possible to get rid of Trump because Trump started an economic war with them. So he's the first person to stand up to China. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, vested interests here that want Trump gone. And I think that plays a very important element of why it's been demonized. Dr. Yo, I have a question. It goes in the similar direct. Well, it's actually it's another medicine. Uh, it's um, talk to Bernardo here. Uh, Bernardo, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just real quickly, and like like with everyone else, thank you guys for doing this and taking the time to be able to answer some questions. It, it, but it, it's let, on let, a hey guys, drug. hey Bernard, thank you for saying so. But it is literally our pleasure to do this so you don't we don't we, it, it's like thanking us for i don't know it, it feels funny to be to be thanked for something that we are so privileged to be able to do so <laughs> it's literally our pleasure sure sure well well again just really quickly it's a it's a different drug that you guys have been discussing but it's just your thoughts on the drug uh bucelamine hmm. it's uh with a company called uh revive therapeutics currently they're in phase three testing and everything 
and their history shows that they've been around for roughly 30 years. I was just wanting to get your thoughts on maybe the use of that with COVID. Is, is bucilamine like penicillamine? Is it, is it a drug like that? Something they use for like uh, scleroderma, things like that? You know? Uh, yes, I believe so. And I believe Dr. Yo has, a, has an interview with, uh, with uh, Michael Frank, the CEO, coming next week. So I was just wanting to get some potential insight. All right. Dr. Yo, have at it. Yeah, bacillamine's actually been used, uh, as you uh, correctly said, for about uh, 30 years in South Korea and Japan. It's a uh, drug used for rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, very interesting uh, mechanism of action. It, uh, it regenerates uh, glutathione. Apparently, mm-hmm. I, I forget what the number, I think it's like 10 or 15 times better than N-acetylcysteine um, in regenerating uh, the glutathione levels in the body, which is an anti, a naturally producing antioxidant. Um, Bucillamine, as, as you correctly said, is in phase three. I'm actually interviewing uh, Michael Frank and the chief science officer next week on my YouTube show um, to discuss um, sort of the science behind it. But it looks very promising. Um, so my understanding is that it's an oral uh, formulation. It's a, it's a pill. Uh, I think that they're, they're testing, uh, I think, twice a day and three times a day, different um, dosages in their clinical trials. But it seems to be promising for their mild to moderate uh, COVID-19 patients. And again, looking at, it's a drug that's already been used for 30 years um, in South Korea and Japan. It's uh, a drug that is PO form. So it's a great for potentially patients that are the, the outpatient um, or ones that are going to the ER and getting discharged this, the, within this, uh, in a couple of hours. So it, it's very, it's a very promising drug. Um, I'll have a little bit more information next Tuesday after getting an opportunity to speak with the company. There you go. And Dr. Joe, I'll give you a chance to respond to what Dr. Zlenko was saying about the uh, politicization of everything, which just makes me sad. I just get sad and bothered by it. It's just too much for me. But go ahead. It, it, it's a, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I think we've also lost respect uh, in the medical community for each other. Um, we're so quick to call each other quacks when we disagree with a management, we stopped having conversations. Um, if I suggest hydroxychloroquine, someone's going to call me a right winger. If I am against hydroxychloroquine, then I'm the you know I'm a Trump supporter. It it should we should, when we approach medicine and science, COVID nineteen. This is what I always say: COVID nineteen doesn't care about your politics. So why should we care? About, like what? Why should our medical management um, be concerned about politics? It should be pure and. Uh, um, and and unadulterated yeah. from all this nonsense, and and we should be having these conversations without any repercussions or any fear. I've seen some of the things being leveled at Dr. Zelenko. It's just unfair. I mean, we can disagree, we can respectfully disagree, but to to muddy and dirty someone's name and to call them all sorts of things, it's just been really horrible. Yeah, it's to me, it's the opposite of how clinical science is done, which is normally we get together, we argue, we show each other the current science, we interpret it, and then we reach a consensus as opposed to going into our respective camps and just calling each other names. That's that is so far from the medicine I've been involved with my whole career. I I can't believe it. Speaking of that, have you heard about uh, Dr. Zlenko, the Great Barrington Declaration? Um. Yeah, I just got it in my email. I have to read through it. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. It's three uh, epidemiologists and public health professionals 
we're essentially saying, let me see if I can get to the, they're essentially saying that lockdown is having, you know, untoward effects. That it's something we've, I've been saying all along, which is that the, the mental health and the delay for treatment and the real consequence of lockdown and the economic effects and particularly on underprivileged, underserved, economically distressed is going to be just profound. Anybody Look, just it's uh, more people are, you know, more people are dying from the response to COVID than from COVID. You know, I, I learned that politics is a blood sport. I didn't even realize how literally that should be interpreted in this particular case. And right. genuine science, uh, legitimate science has been by world renowned physicians has been marginalized because of the, it doesn't fit the narrative of the people in power. This is um, propaganda. This is nothing more than, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, we heard for the first three months or four months, hydroxychloroquine is going to kill you. Um, and it causes a, a long QT problems and so on. So there's 3,000 electrophysiologists in America. They have a WhatsApp group. And I'm friends with a few electrophysiologists. I asked them, do me a favor, ask a question. Uh, has anyone ever seen any negative outcomes using hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, uh, namely Tursats? The answer was zero in the country. Caveat, outside of the ICU. Uh, and I never advocated its use in the ICU. Now, if you look at the pack package insert of remdesivir, 6% of people that start remdesivir develop AFib. That's six out of 100 patients develop a cardiac arrhythmia, which can cause stroke. Yep. So Goebbels, uh, that means it may his name be erased, said, accuse the other what you're guilty of. this building, even to this day, I have to fight with patients and then basically expose them to the fact that they're victims of propaganda. Wild. So, and and Dr. Yo, and uh, not just uh, cardiac side effect, but renal side effects too with uh, remdesivir, yes? It was mostly, it's the, it's the liver uh, takes a, I think that's rectal bleeding. And I believe there's, so there's liver toxicity, which I've always found remdesivir to be um, the cruel irony because it's a approved medication for COVID-19. But the problem is that, you know, from the studies that have come out, it's really showing it cuts infectious time from 15 to 11 days, uh, if given within the first five days. And afterwards, it doesn't really have any, nothing to do with the mortality. And here's the cruel part about this drug. Um, it causes liver toxicity. And those severe and critical COVID-19 patients, their livers and, and kidneys take a major hit. So you can't get this drug. They're, exclusion, they're excluded from the study. Did, did our friend... Uh who had the liver transplant get remdesivir? Uh, Samantha Mote, no, Samantha didn't get uh, remdesivir. Be because of, because of her friend, liver. My friend, Dr. I, I'm not sure why, I'm, I'm not sure the reason why, but I, I would suspect, I mean, that makes a logical sense. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and I learned about that because my friend Tom um, Purcell, Dr. Purcell, who, I, who was on your show a couple of weeks ago, um, he had elevated sky high liver enzymes. And I remember talking to the ICU doctors and they said, no, we can't give remdesivir or tocizumab. Because the liver, and, and yet remdesivir is used for hepatitis C, right? Interesting. 
it's it was developed it was developed for as a as a broad spectrum antiviral i believe it was initially for ebola and then they started yeah. looking into other other viruses yeah, yeah that's right um on a on a complete i want to change topics a little bit and just take a little bit of breather and uh just ask dr yo uh gym guy where'd that come from well also, well, it's it's a joke. You know, I've got these people on social media that, that like to say that I'm not really a, an anesthesiologist or a doctor. I, I run a side business where I work with professional athletes that do a lot of exercise physiology. Right. So there are some people, you know, I talk about different drugs and I don't know, maybe for some reason they hate this drug. You know, I've been talking a lot about Lamab and RLF 100 and I don't know the reasons why, but some people hate this drug, so they try to <laughs> they discredit the me. And so weird. So the idea that somebody hates the, a drug uh, is weird. They, it's just so weird. It's it, it, it is such a weird thing, right? You can say I I don't think you know the science is not there, but you know Dr. Patterson has explained Lamab, and I said, wow, this is a great drug. And there are groups of people, and I don't know who they are, but they're coming after me, and they they say, oh, you're just a gym guy, and you should just be making YouTube videos and working out at a gym. Go, okay, well. And in a in a tweet today, I mean, our our information is. You did a tweet today. You called me the TV guy. You the gym guy. What was Dr. Slanko? He's the hydroxychloroquine guy. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. It's pretty weird, right? We're all just three physicians out there just trying to do our job. It's very bizarre. I'd like to share something with you guys. Um, so my the community that um, I um, did all my work with is now um, having a second wave and hundreds of patients are sick yeah and uh and many of them are high risk so i would say even like 100 patients so far been high risk and treated um i think one went in the hospital and for iv antibiotics and now they're home no deaths i mean do you understand the change because we've educated the it's a it's a controlled environment so We've educated the community that if you have symptoms, call right away. Don't wait yeah. uh, 10 days. Yeah. And people are scared. They call. We intervene early. And we see tremendous results. Everyone gets better. Do you think that was congregations around the high holidays? Yeah, you know, uh, it's a high-density um, living. Mm. And uh, the way, uh, you know, religious Jews are, their religious life is very much connected to community, very much connected with, uh, you know, doing things as a unit. So it's psychologically very difficult for people to um, uproot their entire way of living, I would say, especially when it comes to matters of spirit. And, and so, I know de Blasio is trying to shut some of that down, and there's a, quite a pushback in uh, the suburbs of New York. Yeah, he's a little tyrant, you know. But, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you know, I, don't start with God. <laughs> don't, don't, don't start with God. Fair enough. But we, have, we have a bunch of questions I want to get to in sort of rapid fire. They're mostly for Dr. Zlanko, so I'm going to address them to him. Uh, this is Lainey or Lani for Dr. Zlanko. Go ahead. Yes, thank you for taking my call, Dr. Zlanko. Uh, my my uh, questions are all related to quercetin. I'd like to know what the dosage and frequency you would recommend for taking that for prophylactic use and also for someone that has maybe contracted COVID. And uh, also... Right. Uh, Go ahead. 
Well, if it works as well as hydroxychloroquine, and what would be the long-term effects of taking quercetin? Are there any concerns? Okay. Thanks, Lenko. Well, all very good questions. So, um, quercetin for prophylaxis, I just use 500 milligrams uh, once a day together with zinc. And actually, there are papers that show that quercetin uh, needs vitamin C to actually work well. So it would be like quercetin and vitamin C together with zinc. That's for prophylaxis. Um, there's nothing wrong with taking two if you are, uh, you know, high risk or you have high viral load exposures. Now, if someone gets sick, um, again, depending on who they are, I, I, I would use up to 2,000 milligrams of uh, quercetin but for a short period of time, five to seven days with vitamin C and zinc. And lately, I've been using other drugs. I've been adding ivermectin. I've been using dexamethasone or inhaled uh, budesimide. I've even used drugs like Lovenox or Eliquis. I'm concerned about um, clots. So it, it's an art. It, you, there's no cookie-cutter response for every patient. I would just say that quercetin is a natural derivative, a plant derivative. It seems to be very well tolerated. It's available over the counter. And I have a very interesting piece of information. So I've been ripping the Israeli government apart due to their response. And I've gone over their heads in a sense and direct to, to the people. And I've been advocating for quercetin use. You cannot get quercetin anymore in the entire, entire country of Israel. It's been all bought up, uh, both online and in the stores. Mm, interesting. So I, I think that's a good sign that uh, people really took it seriously. And Dr. Yo, I don't think I ever gave you the chance to finish the initial question of the treatment that Dr. That, uh, President Trump got. Did you feel that the treatment overall was good? You know, obviously he's doing much better from yeah. from the, the, the Twitter video that, that was posted about an hour ago, So, which I'm glad, which no matter what your political beliefs are, he's still the president, he's a father, grandfather, husband. We should all be wishing, you know, everyone well and fast, rec speedy recovery. You know, the, the, the thing that I'm concerned about with President Trump's treatment is we don't necessarily know. You know, I think in the video uh, that he put out, he said Regeneron, he thinks, is the gave him all the benefit. Yeah. But was it Regeneron? Was it remdesivir? Was it steroids? Was it the but he, he, was it he a said, combination of he, all he of that? Said, he said he felt sick on day one, marvelous on day two after the Regeneron. That's why he was he was putting a temporal association there, and that's why he's saying that. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, it, it makes sense, but from a... Finish, Dr. Yo. I would Sorry, go ahead, Dr. Zelenko. Dr. Zelenko, I, I would reserve judgment until we get the full picture of what has been on, which I know for a fact that we're not getting. Is he, is he going the other direction, do you think? I think he used everything. Um, and I think that... Um, certain things are just best not spoken about and <laughs> okay, and, and due to political reasons. And we're a month away from the most important election in the history of this country, in my opinion. So he has to do everything right to, to win politically. So uh, that would be true for any candidate. So, you know, giving out uh, Regeneron for free uh, and giving people hope, well, that's a useful tactic. I may even support it because if it actually works, then then great. It wouldn't work if he gave out hydroxychloroquine to everyone. People would say that he's trying to kill, kill half the country. One of the reasons I 
I brought up the way we had treated, the way he was treated is uh, Dr. Zlenko mentioned he uses Eliquis and Lo Lovenox for uh, some of the cases that are at high risk. That was the one thing I would have definitely done differently for President Trump. And we, I, we don't know for sure this didn't happen, but I would have put him on Lovenox. Would you guys have done that? Um, you know, we have to be careful not to get uh, sidetracked by VIPitis. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, he had symptoms for a day. You know, <laughs> um, the, the hypercoagulation, the clotting uh, doesn't really kick in until a week. day seven, eight, yeah. nine. Yeah. So I wasn't concerned. And I don't, I don't know his full history. And obviously, a patient who has a history of clotting. I'll do, I'll start them right away. But I, I, I think I've been uh, biased a little bit by a recent case I was exposed to of a 21 year old female whose presentation was a large pulmonary embolus, uh, day one is, you know, day one of illness. And it, it, it affected me deeply. She did not make it through. And, uh, so I've been more interested in the prophylactic doses of Lovenox that some, some centers are using. Dr. Yo, what do you say? Yeah, you know, I think also with with the hospitalized patients, a lot of times they get a sub Q, uh, a prophylactic dose of of Lovenox if there's a contraindication, then they get they get heparin. So it, it's possible he could have gotten President Trump because he was hospitalized as a prophylaxis, maybe not for COVID uh, directly, but maybe as a for a, a DVT because he's going to be mobilized and sitting on a bed, and he, especially with his age and some of his risk factors. I wouldn't be surprised, but as Dr. Zelenko said, we we know we are getting bits and pieces from the press releases and trying to piece together something, come up with a narrative, so we don't really know the full story. Right, that's right. Uh, you guys, I have to take a little break here. You guys, are we good so far with both of you? Yes. All right, we'll take a little break, and we will be right back. With so much focus on keeping ourselves and our loved ones safe and healthy, it's easy to forget that most of us are going to experience things like allergies, colds, possibly even the flu. So reminding you, proper hydration is crucial for all of these things. Remember, even slight dehydration can make you feel like you're getting sick, and none of us need that anxiety right now, that's for sure. That's where Hydrolyte comes in. Longtime fans will remember my obsession with Hydrolyte, which is simply the best oral rehydration product I've tried. I'm even more excited to introduce their brand new single-serve powder sticks. Simply pour one powder stick into a glass of water. They recommend seven ounces. The powder dissolves almost instantly, creating the perfect balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Delivers up to four times the electrolytes of your typical sports drink. The other great news about Hydrolyte's new powder sticks, they're 100% all-natural, no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. They're available in flavors like orange and lemonade, and they taste great. Hydration is crucial, and Hydrolyte is fastest and easiest way to stay ahead of it. Get your supply of Hydrolyte powder sticks now at hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. Again, that's H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E.com slash D-R-D-R-E-W, and then use that code DrDrew25 at checkout. The World Health Organization estimates that each year, approximately 1 million people take their own life. That's one death every 40 seconds. Experts predicted numbers would peak in 2020, but no one could have imagined the devastation brought on by COVID-19. During the coronavirus pandemic, you may experience anxiety, sadness, and loneliness, Existing mental health conditions, including severe anxiety and major depression, may worsen. If you're feeling hopeless, contemplating self-harm, or you're concerned about someone else, I'm here to tell you there is hope. A mission for Michael is dedicated to helping clients achieve complete inner and outer transformation. 
Mission for Michael is the premier resource for intensive mental health treatment in Southern California. With an astonishing two-to-one client-to-staff ratio, each client in their facility receives individual care 24 hours a day, overseen by a team of all doctorate or master's level clinicians. With a focus on evidence-based treatment, along with personalized and compassionate care, they offer mental health treatment that can change lives. If you're suffering from mental illness or you're concerned about a loved one, go to amfmtreatment.com. Again, that's a mission for Michael, AMFM, amfmtreatment.com, or call 866-581-4401. Again, that is 866-581-4401. There we are. We're all back. Now, let's get our my colleagues in here, Dr. Yohendra and Dr. Zelenko, and get right to some calls that bring up some interesting uh, issues. Uh, this is Ron. Ron, go ahead. Uh-oh, now I don't hear Ron. The phone's, is the, are the phone okay with that? Ron, try again. All right, Hello? I have some, oh, I, I just put him back in the uh, lineup here. One second. Uh, Ron, how about now? You got us? Hello? Hey, Ron. He's not hearing us. Evidently. Ron, do you hear us? Okay, it's got to be something on his end. Ron, I've got somebody else has a similar question, so I'm going to go to this caller, and it is uh, Rye or R-Y. Can you hear me? I got gotcha. you. What's your name? I'm sorry. I can't be what it says here. Hi. Uh, Rye, R-Y. Okay, fair enough. That's what your name is. So go ahead. Um, I was just asking for my mom, who's a nurse. She's asking, can we re- uh, we can we address the reality of reinfection and is this a concerning consider is this a concern considering po- uh, potential residual effects Dr. Yo you start possibly um, I don't think the numbers um, you know there was a case report from South Korea and another case in Nevada uh, where there were uh, there were uh, the the reinfection um, in these patients. Now, here's the difficult thing about proving that it's reinfection. One is um, you, you might have asymptomatic uh, people that didn't get tested. Two, even if you did get tested, if you got it a second time, um, the question is, was it uh, is it really two different strains? Because and you, and you have to measure the genomic uh, of the the genome of the first time you got the virus, and then the second time you compare it, which no one ever so does. Really, you never really get difficult. that data. No one ever does. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Exactly. So it's it's very difficult to see. There's anecdotal evidence. There's some reports suggesting there's that people are saying, "Look, I'm getting I'm getting infected again." It's it's very difficult right now because it's a question of did they get tested the first time. Or did they have symptoms, get exposed, and assume? And I'm dealing with a lot of long haulers who are saying, I never got tested, I have the symptoms, and I'm a COVID-19 patient. So it's it's very confusing right now, and I don't think we have a complete understanding. The other in, in, important thing I want to say is the paradigm is that you get infected, you build antibodies, and then you have immunity. And then the concern is that the antibodies that you're building or that you develop from the initial infection may not confer long-lasting immunity. Right. Or if you get exposed a second time, those antibodies may not be, I guess, strong enough to put it in, in simple terms. And, and let me add another, uh, add another layer on that, 
we, we don't know the full story of cellular immunity and how it works in the immunity, conferring immunity to this infection. Yes, it's it's the, the T cell immunity and the role of T cells. Right. There's some uh, publications that are suggesting that uh, a group of people make antibodies, another group make T cells, uh, a T cell memory T cell response. So there's no way of measuring. They don't make antibodies. They make T cells, uh, memory T cells. So how do you measure in those patients? It's difficult. We don't right. have this I, testing. I'm, I'm working with a company called Additix that's trying to develop the technology to do that. And, and I think they're close. So that would be pretty interesting. Dr. Zlenko, what do you say? I can just tell you my empirical experience. Um, I have not seen one patient who I know for sure had COVID, uh, for sure meaning I have uh, IgG uh, antibodies present that got it a second time. And everyone that I'm um, seeing now are those that quarantined themselves the first, uh, during the first wave and now they kind of uh, reintegrated, and um, they're getting it. So I'm not concerned about uh, at least this season. You know, it may very well turn out to be like the seasonal flu, where every year it's a different strain, and you need a different approach. Um, I'm just talking about this uh, this round, let's say this year. Um, I don't think it's a new strain. It seems to behave the same, respond the same. Um, we're just much better at treating it. Yeah. And uh, I would say that uh, it's a very minor concern. And even if the person did have it and they got it a second time, we have to always remember there may be immune deficiencies by certain people. There may be um, other factors that need to be, as the person on the immunosuppressive drug, you know, th there is a lot of factors that need to be considered. Overall, I would say it's not a major worry. Got it, Ryan? Yes. All right. Thanks for your question. All right. It's an interesting topic. And and again, you know, I, Dr. Yo, I imagine with your interest in the long haulers, some of those may look like reinfections. You know, it, I was fine. Then all of a sudden I started feeling terrible again. Right. Yeah, well, what what Dr. Patterson's looking through, uh, and for some of you viewers who don't know, Dr. Patterson is the CEO of Incel DX. He's running all this virology and immunology, and uh, we're not really seeing uh, this being a viral, at least in the long haulers. It's not virally induced. He's not seeing any uh, the 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 fat the causative factor being the virus. Right. It's a transient hyperinflammation hmm. caused by these residual cytokines. And, is, but the good thing about long haulers that we're seeing in the data is that, just one more point, uh, is there's no immune suppression. The T-cell exhaustion that we see in the active COVID infections have resolved. This is just purely a hyper-inflammatory pr problem. Uh, Dr. Yo, you mentioned the drug ivermectin. Josh has a question about that. Hi, guys. Hey, yeah, hi I guy. just wanted to ask um, about... Hey, um, yeah, I just wanted to ask about ivermectin because I've been reading about it and uh, heard that it's being used in quite a few countries in South America and Asia and the Middle East. And apparently it has very good results, but it's not getting any attention uh, by the, the Western world. And I was wondering if they, if the doctors have any experience with that. Dr. Yo, I think this is your drug. 
Yeah, so I've been following ivermectin now for a couple of months now. Ivermectin, I've, I've been talking to doctors in Bangladesh, and they're they're actually one of the doctors there. Um, and I have an interview with him. He suggested that ivermectin and doxycycline was maybe a little bit better than hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. He's not saying it doesn't work. He's saying it, he found it to be a little bit better. Mm. Um, there's Dr. Barodi, Thomas Barodi in Australia, who's a big advocate of ivermectin. And he's come out and said that he's treating patients with ivermectin. Uh, there's another clinical, there was a study done in the ICU down in South Florida in Broward County. Uh, by two pulmonary, uh, pulmonary critical care doctors. And this publication is online where I, I forget the exact number of patients, but they had several intubated patients. So you're, now you're dealing with a severe critical uh, COVID-19 patients and they gave ivermectin and the, they responded and they were able to get these patients off the ventilators. I think there's a lot of confusion. Ivermectin is a drug we use quite commonly in a lot of the developing nations. So I feel like some of the physicians in South America and Asia, even in Africa, might be more comfortable using it than here in, in yeah. the United well, States. Well, listen, I don't know about you. The dosage, I'm, I'm going to stop you. I, I have not used ivermectin since I worked in a county hospital 30 years ago. We were, it was actually during the uh, Civil War in, uh, uh, shoot, uh, not Nicaragua. In San Salvador, El Salvador, El Salvador, and a lot of stuff was coming up. We're talking about worms, intestinal worms, and we had to use not just ivermectin, a whole range of different things. And then it's not something you see day in day out practice medicine up here generally. Yeah, and and the FDA came out with an advisory in in April su suggesting that oh, you know, we're not advocating for F for the use of ivermectin, but we we typically use ivermectin in, in veterinary medicine at very high doses. And mm -hmm. of course, there you can see toxicity at those doses. But the doctors in Bangladesh and in Australia and even in Latin America are using 150 to 200 uh, mics per kilogram at, at such a low dose. And they're actually seeing uh, very little side effects and positive results. Interesting. Dr. Dr. Zelenko? Yeah, so I use ivermectin. I would say ten percent of my patients get it. Interesting. And and I'll tell you why. Because I not every patient presents the same. Mm. Um, I just had a patient uh, who has been sick for fourteen days, and they reached out to me. And their pulse ox is eighty six, and they don't look good. So I, I don't believe in sending people to the hospital. I like to bring the hospital to the people. So I will use everything that I can to try to turn the situation around. I'll, I, I'll use ivermectin in addition, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, dexamethasone. I'll throw everything I can, uh, Lovenox, home O2, IV fluids, um, and it really works. Uh, there are other times I use ivermectin is when I can't get hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I have to use a less powerful uh, quercetin or EGCG. So because of that, I'll throw in an ivermectin uh, as a, <laughs> to, for the flavor, you know, just to make sure that the patient gets better. Um, I've had no complications with it. I use 12 milligrams uh, divided, six milligrams in the morning, six milligrams 12 hours later, and that's it. It's a one-day uh, treatment uh, addition. And I, I, I do believe that it works. Um, and again, I have to... Uh, reiterate this, and I really want the president 
to realize why he got better is that because he got treated right away. And the key is early intervention, early intervention. That's how you prevent long haulers. I mean, not you don't, it won't help the existing long haulers, but. Uh -oh. It's okay. My dog is bugging the hell out of me while we're, <laughs> you're allowed to have a phone call. They don't like the worm medication, your kids. Are you all back? I actually turned off my phone. Okay. I have zero. I, how they called me. <laughs> I'd like okay, to know. Um, that may be WhatsApp on my computer. Maybe that's it. Um, what was I saying? You were talking about the... the you wish Dr. or you hope President Trump knows why he got well, early use, ivermectin. No, I, I just feel that, you know, every physician in this country needs to be encouraged to intervene as early as possible. And look at the CDC website for influenza. It says you have to start treatment within the first antiviral treatment within 48 hours. Why? Because that's when it works. So um, it's a very... Um, standard thing that we do in medicine. We intervene. We don't, tr we treat cancer before it becomes metastatic. Right. Right. We treat, we treat uh, a UTI before it becomes a pyelonephritis. So I don't understand why the Fauci types, I do understand, but it's really disgusting. Um, why these de degenerates are advising against early intervention um, when that's the recommendation for every other illness. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of, Dr. Joe, do you have an opinion about that? Uh, about, um, about specifically ivermectin? No, or why they would be, why people would be discouraging early intervention with anything. I, I'm uh, to be honest with you, I'm I'm not sure. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know what I've been advising um, patients and and friends of mine that have had come down with COVID nineteen is go to CVS. I know I make a joke about it. Is here in the United States, you know, because of hydroxychloroquine not being available, ivermectin not being available. It's take your vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, uh, N-acetylcysteine, mel melatonin which is part of the, the MAP plus protocol that the Merrick at Eastern Virginia has developed. Mm -hmm. um, because the only time, if you go to the hospital, the only thing they're going to do different is probably put you on a, a nasal cannula, give you some fluids, and maybe consider remdesivir. Uh, but that's what most of the patients, they go, they sit in the hospital for a day or two and get this big, big bill at the end uh, for getting fluids and a nasal cannula. So I agree with Dr. Zelenko. It's about prevention and really uh, that early intervention to prevent the cytokine storm developing and, and the long-term hospitalization. Let's talk to... But, you know, Dr. Drew... Uh, Go ahead. Finish I, up. I was going to say, and, and so this is why some of this is why some of those medications that Dr. Uh, I mean, that President Trump got is, is promising, like the Regenerons and Eli Lilly today announced that uh, they've got some positive results. They also have a monoclonal antibody cocktail. So these are medications for that mild to moderate that could potentially give more tools for the physicians to 
really get aggressive with the treatment. Yeah, I think because I mean, so many people start mild to moderate. Why not intervene there? It's like it's like if somebody had a cellulitis in their arm, we said, let's wait till they get they get septic. Let's just wait, let's wait till septicemia sets in. Then we'll give them the antibiotics, right? Yeah, and, and not everyone is going to respond to, okay, so let's say we have these first-line treatments like the Regenerons, these other monoclonal antibodies. Not everyone is going to respond. Uh, the one thing I'm starting to realize looking at the long haulers is I think we're going to learn so much about the entire disease and that, you know, we, 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 we talked about it's not one size fits all. Dr. Zelenko touched upon, you know, some patients are going to respond to ivermectin and other medications he's using. And we're seeing this in the long haulers. There's not one cytokine. It's a heterogeneous pattern. And could the same thing happen even in, in COVID patients where everyone's bodies responded differently, different cytokines are being elevated, different responses in the body. So why not have these different medications? Okay, if the Regenerons and your Eli Lilly's and your monoclonal antibodies don't work, then you've got your second line drugs like your Laronlamabs, your RLF100s, your Lenzulamab that can then really quell the cytokine storm for those patients that didn't respond to that initial treatment. Carol, you have a question. Yes, I do. Uh, my son is a long hauler. He's been to like four hospitals, six doctors. No one's given him anything. Um, this has been going on. He had, he thinks he had COVID the end of December, beginning of January. They had no tests then. And, um, I was looking to see he still has severe headaches uh, and severe fatigue. And uh, he has been following the uh, Math Plus, uh, you know, the course of treatment, but um, he's not getting anywhere. He, I mean, he feels a little better, but he really needs someone to treat him or give him something, either the steroids or the the other drugs that you're talking about, the ivermectin or, um, but every doctor he's, he's seen has told him that he, um, he might be having a uh, reaction, some kind of immune reaction after a virus, but they can't say whether it's COVID or not because he wasn't tested and uh, nobody treats him. Nobody gives him anything. What do you recommend? It's, it's interesting, Dr. Joe, to think about not only what we recommend, but someone who did not have proven COVID and, and may not have antibodies. What do you do with that population? Well, you and 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 that's that's the the big the puzzle and and what we we got to figure out because early on in the in the pandemic, uh, getting tested was the, getting the testing were not available. It's very difficult uh, for a lot of. Americans to get the, the testing. So those people in that March to probably May period, that definitely, you know, when you're looking at the symptomatology, you can say, yes, they got, they, they were exposed, they, they had COVID-19, but they never had a test. I think we have to start, we have to treat them. And our clinical approach has to be like they had the infection because you can go back and test the antibodies. But again, not everyone is developing antibodies. So What's happening is primary care doctors are, are looking at these patients going, no, this is all in your head. You're making this up. This is PTSD. You have anxiety and depression. Right. And I'm, I'm in these Facebook groups and these social media groups and patients are, all they want is just an acknowledgement. Yes, you have a problem. You're not making this up. And 
you know, when we're looking at the immunology of these patients, the, the cytokines, TNF-alpha, implicated in depression. Interleukin-8 is implicated in uh, fibromyalgia and, and chronic fatigue syndrome. A lot of these symptoms uh, a lot of these conditions that patients have, we're seeing the cytokines elevated. So is there a correlation? That's you know what we don't know. Right. But Carol, if for your son, um, if you if you can contact me, you know, Dr. Patterson and I, we're starting a long hauler project. We're about a week away. So in about a week, MD Biosciences, who's partnered up with Dr. Patterson's company, is going to have a a, a website set up, an online portal where now your doctor can put in requisition orders. And, and right now they're just building out the infrastructure. We were hoping to have, we're hoping to have this up in, within the next week. The goal is then you would get a, a cytokine profile. And then according to that, we would give you recommendations, uh, not only therapeutic, but we're partnering up with a lot of, um, with another um, uh, social workers and, and different health, um, psychiatrists and, and therapists. Because when you look at fibromyalgia, you look at CFS, a lot of it is not, you know, we're so quick to jump to a medication, got to get this pill, got to get this shot. But there's also that cognitive, that therapy and, and the support. So we're looking at this on a, on a holistic, taking a holistic approach. And you can contact me. Uh, I think, you know, we'll put my Twitter and you can send me an, an email. I'll send you uh, all the information on how your son can be involved in our project and the research we're doing. Okay, Carol. Okay, uh, which doctor was that that Dr. I was talking to? Dr. Yo Hendra, and the Twitter handle is Yo Dr. Yo. Uh, Yo Dr. Yo, if you if you send me a message, I'll I'll send you my email, and we can have a conversation. I've I've been talking literally to hundreds of patients. Uh, they all have you know. I'll give you my cell phone. We can we can have a we can have a discussion. I'll tell you how to coordinate. I'm I'm getting a little bit better in understanding how to get these blood work in because. A lot of the doctors don't understand about what these requests are. So something I just want to mention to everyone is I just found this out. Some hospitals are doing courtesy blood draws. So you can go and ask the hospital and they will actually do some of the lab work that we're requesting. Dr. Patterson's doing all of this for free. Just get the labs over to his lab in uh, San Francisco, in, um, in Silicon Valley, and he will do it all for free. So Within Dr. a couple of days, we'll have a full cytokine and immune profile. Dr. Y O doctor. Y. Okay, Carol, we go with that. Yes. All right. Sounds excellent. good. Excellent. Um, let's kind of move towards the the wrapping things up, uh, Doctor Zelenko. Um, I guess the the only topic we did not really go over is sort of the epidemiology of all this and how to contain it and what we think the right things are to do. Where are you with? Um, strategies for keeping this uh, as much under control as possible until we get a vaccine? All right, so it's, again, it's custom tailored to every individual. So uh, my 10-year-old uh, child should go, be going to school. And I actually prefer that they get COVID-19 over influenza because COVID-19 doesn't touch most children, whereas influenza kills children. Yep, that's so right. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't prophylax or immunize the children Agreed. or the very low-risk um, patients. Now, uh, those patients that are very high-risk and did not have it, so these are the patients we need to be very careful with. I would advise prophylaxis, and I think social distancing is appropriate. 
Um, now, someone who's had the infection, um, I actually think they could reintegrate in, into society. Um, and I'm not concerned that they would uh, you know, be a vector for spreading um, of COVID. So in reality, and Dr. Scott Atlas actually said this, um, even though we herd immunity usually means two thirds, but I think in this particular case, because of the T cell uh, component, we may be able to get away with less. We may be able to uh, get, get the concept of herd immunity uh, by like 50, 40 to 50%, let's say. So I, I, I would advocate that the more people develop antibodies, uh, the better it is for, uh, for the society as a, as a whole. And by the way, um, the psychological trauma of being isolated, um, especially in the kids, uh, we don't yet know the collateral damage here. And I think that um, in a disease that spares 99% of the people and, and then is only dangerous for a small sliver of patients, to shut down the world, it's counterproductive. And the immune system, by the way, needs to be challenged. It, you know, the way we develop immunity is by living. If you stay at home, you actually get, uh, not everything in life is COVID. <laughs> you become weaker, uh, immunologically speaking, to, to, to a whole myriad of infection. Yeah. And it's the uh, the sewer rat idea. Also, the reason we have peanut allergies now we're treating them by exposure. Pretty much everything that improves the uh, regulation of our emotional system, our neurological system, and our immune system is rela related to exposure. Correct. And and again, there has to be another component is if people get sick, we need to have the logistics in place be able to effectively treat them in the right time frame because that's the contributing to all the morbidity and mortality so again this is a very manageable uh situation but it's like a runaway train it's very hard to stop and especially when there's so many forces that have vested interests that the economy should be shut down and that panic should still reign dr yo I'll echo what Dr. Zelenko said about about the children. Um, you know, part of my my gym, being the gym guys, again, it's a sports performance lab. But uh, I work. Uh, I had a grant from the from the state of Rhode Island, working with uh, some of the public school kids in in Rhode Island, and it was probably about fifteen of them. And what was really uh, shocking was the psychological, just how these kids were. You know, the parents are telling me that. They're, they're these these kids were showing signs of depression. They of are not interacting with the right. with their friends. They're so they're so down. And we we got this grant. We had this program where I was teaching them exercise physiology and basics basics of medicine and get to get to play around in the in the lab. But you know, it, and, and these kids just they brightened. You know, it was so, it was so rewarding for them and also for me just seeing they walked in all just down and just interacting with human beings. It's, yeah. you know, so the, I, I agree with Dr. Zelenko, you know, the, the children, we got to think about the kids and, and the psychological impact. The kids are missing their graduations. The college kids are missing. That experience is, is gone. We, we, are, we are altering the trajectory of the neurocognitive and social and emotional development of an entire generation. And it seems as though the people who are responsible for our, quote, health, the public health, give it no regard. Like no regard, 
they seem interested in controlling the population, having things go the way they insist it must go, come what may. Uh, and it, it is, man, I, I always told my my residents when I was training residents, make your decision. But uh, and if you make a mistake or call it wrong, I I won't I won't quarrel. But if you don't have a backup plan and you don't adjust course, I'll kill you. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's being a physician. Uh, public health officials seem to e e either have not practiced medicine or aren't trained that way or have lost track of it. I would be a little harsher. <laughs> What's that? Crimes of humanity. Wow. Genocide on the weak, on the vulnerable. Well, it's because you don't mince words that makes you a very popular guest, Dr. Zalego. Uh, would you like to uh, wrap up with any last comments? I'll give each of you a couple minutes. Dr. Zelenko first. Yeah, I think that we are, it's a much bigger problem than COVID-19. The question is, where is humanity going? Um, how do we look at life? What is life? We have two options. I, I don't know. Did you ever hear my monkey joke? No. No. So a child goes to his mother and asks, um, where do we come from? The, the mother says, well, we're made in the image of God. Then he goes to the father and he says, where do we come from? So he goes, we evolved from monkeys. So he's all confused. He goes back to his mother and says, what does this mean? She goes, oh, it's no problem. That's my side of the family. That's his side of the family. <laughs> but in reality, I wanna, those are the two options. Now, if you view life as uh, precious, that there's sanctity there, that it's a gift, and, that the, and that's the basis of human rights or natural law is the fact that we're made in the image of God, then it's not in our, uh, it's not our job to decide who lives or dies. Now, if you look at people as an as a animal that you can buy and sell and trade, then, you know, let's get rid of the old people. Let's get rid of the blacks. Let's get rid of the Jews. Or what, let's get people who have blue eyes. Let's get rid of them. It's, it's a highly relative. So that's what we see happening here. And I, I think that if this country would move to, the world would move to a more moral stance, then all these other issues would resolve themselves over time. Dr. Yo. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I sort of look at always the, the positives and the silver lining and, and, and these obviously the last couple of months have been very, very grim and very uh, depressing and, you know, for the nation and the world and humanity. But I think one of the things I'm taking from this and I'm learning from is First of all, you know, thank you for doing this, Dr. Drew, inviting Dr. Zelenko and myself, many other doctors, our discussions we've had offline on Twitter. It's we, first of all, we're creating this community that I feel like there was a void. Uh, maybe I I'd probably say I'm com complicit in it. I let the CDC, WHO, other health organizations, all right, they're doing their job. I'll just be a drone and follow what they say. But then I think now I've, I've come to realize, no, we need to be physicians and clinicians and critically think and not just take everything for face value, discuss amongst ourselves. One of the biggest things I've learned is there is a major void in the world of social media and just getting the news out there where physicians, clinicians, 
we're not out there in the front. We're all in our labs and in the hospital. A lot of people ask me, well, you're a social media doctor. And I'm just like, no, I, I've never dreamt about it. I still don't have any plans of having, you know, I, for me, it was about getting information out there. There was such a lack of information, helping physicians get some of these experimental drugs. So, you know, I think we're learning. We're, we're going to be better about that, getting that information. And I think also we're also going to learn so much about the immune system and the body from this horrific pandemic. Dr. O, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you sound like a young me. I got involved in radio for, with the exact same thinking. No one's talking to these kids. Radio has such a powerful influence. Physicians aren't on TV. They aren't on the radio. We need to get out there. and need, need to hear what we have to say. And this is just the new medium for that. And so thank you for being a major figure in that. And Dr. Zlanko, thank you for your courage and your... Um, you know, the, the spiritual conversation is rarely had. So uh, I hope you'll pick up that crucible and continue it long after COVID. Um, thank you for the opportunity to come on your show. And uh, I really respect what you do. Thank you. And I think we have to collaborate together um, and, and really advocate for the welfare of humanity. I don't see how that could be a bad thing. Dr. Yo, thank you as well. And thank you to our callers and our participants. I've been watching you on the thread thank here you. on the chat room. I appreciate it. been a very lively conversation there. Thank you, Caleb Nation, for uh, producing today's show and making the, uh, the technical aspects of this work so well. Susan Pinsky, as always, thank you. And thank you for the dogs for running in here and disturbing me. And uh, we appreciate you all being a part of this. Uh, share this one. I think people have questions might enjoy sort of hearing the thinking and and again, you'll notice we didn't, uh, we weren't dogmatic. We weren't saying this is categorically the way it goes. We're saying this is our experience, what we think it is, this we are collaborating. I, I'm not sure we agreed on everything, but we, um, you know, we tried to present the ideas for you to decide uh, and think about things a little, with a little more clarity rather than all the spin and nonsense that's out there, all the panic porn. Tell all right. Friend. Yeah, tell your friend about the pod and about the uh, stream and, uh, Dr.com, YouTube slash Dr. Drew, and we'll see you all next time. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. This is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. I'm a licensed physician with over 35 years of experience, but this is not a replacement for your personal physician, nor is it medical care. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 anytime, 24-7, for free support and guidance. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.